All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, I feel like a guest speaker slash visitor here. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to be back. Uh, obviously, um, standing is still a bit of an issue for me, and uh, uh, it's a blessing to have a very nice, comfortable chair uh, to sit in up here. And uh, it's a little weird um, actually preaching from a chair like this. So if it's weird and awkward for you, it's weird and awkward for me. So let's just all understand it's awkward, and then we'll get through this. So, um, uh, but uh, but praise the Lord, um, you know, sure missed you guys and uh, and not being here and stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, I'll just kind of give you the brief summary. Um, this year alone, I spent 104 days in the hospital. Longest stint was 44 days. Um, I've had um, 10 surgeries this year alone, and uh, been through a CT scan 22 times. Um, yeah, the cost that the insurance company is paying is uh, pretty much close to $2 million at this point. And uh, praise the Lord, we've just got a little $4,000 uh, deductible, you know, out-of-pocket expense. So, uh, you know, that's, it's, it, that's a chunk of change in its own right, but... It's a lot better than $2 million. So <laughs> at that point, I'd be like, well, you know, I have to figure out a few more jobs to try to juggle in there. But uh, as you can tell, you know, still uh, struggling a little bit with the voice and stuff like that. But uh, uh, things are, are doing uh, a lot better. I uh, was not planning on doing uh, any type of preaching or teaching tonight. Um, but um, if you know, the Nemes are... Um, going through some uh, a little bit of difficult time right now. Um, uh, Laura's uncle, Jim, uh, and he's attended this church uh, in the past for a while. And he was uh, um, helping a neighbor with a tree, and uh, the tree fell on him. And uh, he wound up with um, a fractured skull, uh, broken vertebrae, broken ribs, uh, both his lungs collapsed. Um, he was in a coma after a four-hour surgery, and right now he's on 100% life support. So there's some difficult decisions and uh, difficult choices uh, that the family's making. Uh, but uh, please uh, just make sure you pray for uh, Laura's mom, Kathy, and uh, pray for Jim, obviously, as well, as well as the Nemeths, um, as they kind of... Uh, endure this difficult time and a really challenging time for him. So um, just uh, pray that, um, obviously, with all of it, God gets the glory. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, pray for their faith and pray for their strength and pray for their comfort. So let's go ahead and uh, just open with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get started tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time and opportunity to be here, and I thank you again uh, for these that are here and uh, ready and eager to hear and listen and learn from your word. And uh, Lord, again, I just pray that you would uh, bless this time, that it would be honoring unto you. And uh, Lord, I pray you just be with me and give me strength. Uh, speak through me. Pray, Lord, you would be with the Nemeths and uh, with Kathy and with Jim during this time. And Lord, I pray that you would just give them uh, the comfort and the peace that passes all understanding that only comes from you and your Holy Spirit. And I pray you would just guide them and direct them in all that they do and be with the doctors and give them wisdom as to 
how to move forward and uh, what the next steps are. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, above all the salvation that you've given to us, your word that you gave to us, and your Holy Spirit that you give to us. And Lord, these gifts and these benefits that you've uh, repeatedly blessed us with um, are just beyond um, beyond words uh, of what uh, what you've done for us. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you have done. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So um, I usually don't do this, but I am going to base tonight's lesson off of a conversation that I had the other day uh, with uh, Brother Dan. Um, it, uh, he asked me a question about some things about Israel, uh, because obviously Israel is really in the news right now. Um, it's, uh, and it is pretty bad over there. Um, you know, continue to pray for, uh, those that are over there. Um, did get an update from, uh, a missionary that we have over there and, uh, he's safe. His family's safe. Nothing is, uh, too, too horrific at this point in time. But, uh, uh, if, uh, Hezbollah up north decides to, uh, do some things, things could get a little difficult. Uh, things could get a little trying for them. So, uh, please keep them in prayer as well. But uh, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 15 uh, tonight. We're going to get a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of uh, uh, some things from Scripture, um, and uh, to trying to get a, a good understanding about uh, what exactly is going on and what exactly is, um, uh, you know, with Israel right now. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, political stuff. I'm not going to get too much into that. I might mention a couple of things. Um, I'm not going to get into too much detail of, uh, some of the, um, uh, other events that have happened and occurred, uh, during, uh, the nation's existence. But, uh, we're going to see a few things that really are going to try to, if you will, I want to try to open our eyes as to exactly what the scripture says about this land that is over there. In Genesis chapter 15, we have uh, uh, Abraham, um, and at this point in time, he's just being referred to as Abram uh, before God changes his name to Abraham. And uh, this is the part, part of the chapter where God makes that covenant with him. Uh, he makes the covenant where he takes the beasts and you know, cuts them in half and puts them to get, you know, puts them on either side, uh, laying them out. And that's a symbol of the covenant that they were being, that was being made. And, uh, God, um, does this amazing thing at night while Abraham is sleeping because that covenant wasn't going to between, be between, uh, Abraham and God in that Abraham had to uphold anything with the covenant. It was going to be God's responsibility about it. And that's why you see him as the only one that walks through uh, that between the, two, the the beast's carcasses. But I want us to jump down here to verse 18. It says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Now that is pretty clear. And I will say this. One of the things about this land that is currently over there being disputed is the United Nations does not recognize the Bible as a historical document and a legal document about what 
or about whose land it is. Uh, they don't. They don't respect God. They don't respect his wishes and they don't respect his word. So when it comes to this, they'll look at that and they'll just scoff. The world stage does the same thing. They'll look at that and go, whatever. They don't care. They don't care what God says. But we do because we believe the word of God and we believe that that land is theirs and so does the Jew. They believe it is theirs and it is theirs, regardless of what anybody says. It's God's land to begin with and he can give it to whoever he wants. And the inhabitants of the land that were there were doing such wickedness that they had to be destroyed and had to be driven out. And we'll see a few things about that. But here he says, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt, which would be the Nile River, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. That is not the land grant that they have right now. Where is the river Euphrates found? It's in Iraq. It's in Iraq. All the way over to Iraq. The the land grant that God gave them wipes out uh, countries such as Kuwait, Jordan, Syria, parts of Lebanon. I mean, it it takes up the whole, you know, Sinai Peninsula, uh, the Suez Canal, all of those things, all the way over to the Nile River. It's theirs. God gave it to them. And we look at what they have today, and they've got this narrow little strip of land, and they know that. The Jews know that. But this is the grant that God gave them, and this is what God said was going to be theirs. This is a promise he made to Abraham. This is a covenant that he made to him, and that covenant will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. Uh, Much to the dismay of the world. And this is, again, one of the reasons why the the people, uh, the nation of Israel, is so hated. Because they are God's chosen people. They still are. Yeah, they've been a little naughty, as he calls them. But I will tell you this, they're still his. The church did not replace Israel. We did not get their blessings. And we certainly don't want their curses. Because they're bad. Really bad. So we need to understand that concept. We're something different. We're the body of Christ. We're Jew and Gentile together. These physical things that are being given to the Jews are not given to the church. The church has a different inheritance. We have eternal life. We have we have uh, what uh, Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. But this is something that he has made with these people, and he will come one day and rule and reign, which is what we all look forward to. Because then all the politics won't matter. It won't matter who you vote for. Why? Because I guarantee you, if it's not the right guy, there's going to be a judge and a prophet right there to correct him, just like the Old Testament. Just like the Old Testament. So those are some things that we can look forward to. But when we take a look at what is going on with modern-day Israel, you know, as part of the history lesson, we have to back up all the way to the early 1900s. We have to back up to what was referred to as the Balfour Declaration and the things that were promised to the the Jews 
that they would get a, a nation of their own in their land. And this was something that was uh, given to them, uh, this proclamation, by the British government during uh, World War I uh, and in getting assistance and help with defeating the Ottoman Empire, who was the bad guy at the time, along with Germany and the other uh, countries that allied with those interests. But one thing that we know is that a lot of people didn't like the fact that there was going to be a Jewish state or a Jewish nation there. They didn't like it at all. The British had a hard time controlling what was going on over there because the uh, the Arabs over there continued to attack Jews. It got really bad at, at one point in time that uh, the Brits just kind of finally gave up and said, you know, we can't control these people anymore. And the, um, the there was a decision that was made that they were going to partition the land between uh, the Arabs and the Jews, and the Jews were like, we're fine with that. We'll take what we can get. Uh, the Arabs were not fine with that. They said, no, we want it all. And they made it very difficult. And there was many, uh, many uh, fights and many, uh, um, if you will, attacks and things going on. Uh, even Jews were attacking the British as they were trying to gain independence. And finally, in uh, 19... Uh, 48 in, uh, in May when the, um, if you will, the, the grant that uh, the Brits had for the, that land was expired. The nation of Israel promptly declared independence and said, we are now our own state. And that, you know, our own nation. And that didn't fly well with a lot of the Arab countries. And immediately they were invaded. They were invaded. But... Here's this ragtag group of people that barely have any arms and armament, and they drove off an army that was much larger than theirs. We find that that's a lot of what we see with the, the nation of Israel throughout Scripture. Gideon, how many men were there? 300. 300 facing an army of Midianites that said looked like grasshoppers in the land. There were so many of them. And God defeated them. And God has always done that with the nation of Israel. He's protected them. Now Israel, I will say at this point in time, is not in God's will. They are not in God's will. They have a tolerance for sin and an acceptance of sin that exceeds what we see here in the United States of America. And if we think about that, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. But there are those there that still believe, you know, the Old Testament, the Word of God, and they're struggling uh, to try to do those things and try to keep those things, and they want to get back the temple and get back to the sacrifices without realizing that they don't need to do that. They need Jesus Christ. And there's a few Jews that have realized that, and there's a few rabbis that have realized that, and that need for Christ to forgive them of their sins. But as far as a national forgiveness and a national uh, repentance, that has yet to occur. And that is one of the important reasons why we see the tribulation period. And let's not kid ourselves. You know, people go around and they start talking about, you know, all this stuff and people are dragging out all these different doctrines about uh, the tribulation and things like that. But let's be very clear. God calls the tribulation period 
time of Jacob's trouble and Rachel's sorrow. Well, we're not Jacob and we're not Rachel. Those are Jews. So the tribulation is to purge the nation of Israel so that they will come out for the finer. That is the idea behind it. Yes, the world will suffer in that time, and the world will have a horrible, uh, many horrible things going on. Uh, you know, people dying in the billions. Um, you know, when stars fall from the sky and mountains fall from the sky and things change and, you know, waters go bad and creatures come out of the, the pit and all those things, all that stuff that we see in Revelation, all that stuff's got to happen. And people say, well, what's happened in allegory? No, it hasn't. When's the last time you saw a little scorpion man running around with long hair trying to sting you, but it doesn't kill you? No, that, no, there's no, there's, and you can't, I mean, how would you even put that into an allegory? I mean, what would that be? But the end result is, is that that stuff's happened, going to happen. It's, it's a prophecy that we have yet to see fulfilled. We see some of this stuff coming into to play now. But part of the issue that we go back to in the 1900s is Israel is still scattered. You know, coming off of World War II, there's six million less of them. They're poor, they're hungry, they're broke. They have no land. Nobody wants them. And they've got all this stuff going on. Uh, you know, Hitler took away all of their stuff, took away their gold, took away their riches, left them destitute. And uh, they decided to start heading back there in droves. And it got to a point of where before the nation of Israel declared independence, uh, all these boats with just hundreds of immigrants trying to come in were being held back and saying, you can't come, you can't come, because it was going to cause a problem. So they started smuggling them in. And they, their ranks grew and people began to, uh, um, you know, start forming pre, you know, set up for a government. So when this May um, date rolled around, where the uh, the the grant for the Brits expired, all of a sudden they would be able to have a operational form of government, a prime minister, parliamentary uh, um, uh, uh, order, all of these things. They were smart about it, but again. The Arab didn't want them there. And let's be clear about what we're talking about. We're talking about this area that people call Palestine. God doesn't call it Palestine in Scripture. There are, you know, there are references, and I understand that. But it's Israel's land. Let's just be clear about that. It's the land of Israel. It's his. It belongs to the Jew. And that word Palestine comes from a Roman word, a Latin word. That was based off of Palestia, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the region that the Romans gave to that territory over there that came from another word that was related to the word Philistia. Which, if you don't understand where the word Philistia and who is associated with them, Philistines. Same thing that you got going on in the Old Testament is the same thing you got going on today. Same thing. Now, obviously, you know, the, the Philistine in its, in its ethnic form, 
uh, has degraded and uh, been diminished over the course of time, but it's still the same spirit. If you remember over in the book of Exodus, God said, I don't want you going through the land of Philistia because the Philistines are just nasty people. Now, I'm paraphrasing it. That's the Ken Stewart version, all right? <clears throat> because he said they, they, will, they will experience war. They'll grow weary. So he had them avoid them entirely, and they would be dealt with later. They'd be dealt with later. They were supposed to be driven out of the land, and they never were. They never were. But the end result that we see is that we see that God scatters the nation of Israel. And we see this in the Old Testament with the captivity. And yeah, some of them come back. We see some of that in the New Testament. But again, they wind up getting scattered to the point of where the land of Israel, the land that God gave them, was abandoned. Turn over to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 26. Leviticus chapter 26. And if you will, jump down over here to, oh, there's a lot to go through here. Jump down to verse 14. I'm going to jump through some verses and uh, through some of these phrases, and I want you to see exactly what God said to Israel. In verse 14, he said, But if you will not hearken then to me and will not do all these commandments, and, ye, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, covenant, this also will I do unto you. I will appoint over you, what's that word? Terror. What is it that we call Hamas? It's not an operational form of government, all right? Let's just not, let's, let's not kid ourselves here. Terrorists. What's the job of a terrorist? Create terror. And they did that, didn't they? They did that. And, and again, you know, there's, there's, I understand there's two sides to every story. I get it. But if you've seen some of the videos, and I've seen some of them, they're horrific. They're horrific what they did. Um, and, you know, and people are saying, well, that stuff didn't happen. I'm like, um, beg to differ. Because that's the modus operandi of how that group works. And Hamas, is, by the way, is an acronym, and again, I forgot to write it down what it stands for, but it's an acronym that is directly related to ISIS. And if you know anything about ISIS or ISIL, however, whichever one you want to choose, uh, they are brutal, bloodthirsty, heathen reprobates. And I'm not calling, I'm doing that to just call them names. I'm doing that because that's what they do. They create terror. But this is what God warned them. If you don't do what I want you to do, there will be consequences. This is what God's telling them. In the book of Leviticus, right smack dab in the middle of giving all this Levitical law, he says, look, if you ignore this stuff, hey, you go back to Leviticus chapter 10, God already showed what happens when you mess with what he has given, 
when Aaron's two sons decided to offer strange fire and they were like right there in the camp and, and, and God tells Moses, don't you dare let Aaron or his family mourn for those two. Other people can mourn. They can't because they know why it was their consequence for what they did. God said, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want to smell that. I don't want that incense. I don't want that strange fire. They did what they were going to do anyways. They didn't heed the word of God. There's consequences when you don't heed the word of God. And he says, I will point over you terror, consumption, and the burning og, and the, and, uh, and, uh, that shall consume thy eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And he goes down and he talks about setting his face against them. Uh, he's talking about he's going to break their pride. All of this stuff, and he says in verse 21, if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven more plagues upon you according to your sins. He's very serious about this. And as you go down, I want you to get down to where he he talks about this in um, uh, walking contrary to him. And if you jump down to verse 33, He says, I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And when you get to that point in time in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration and even in 1948, that's what the land was. It wasn't a land of milk and honey anymore. It was barren. It was desolate. It's a desert. You go over there now and you're like, Really? This kind of looks like, you know, some parts of eastern Washington. It's like, you know, desert, eastern Oregon, Boise. You know, Boise kind of reminds you a little bit of the Middle East because it's, that's kind of what it is over there. But it's not what it used to be. It's not what it's supposed to be. Why? Because God said the land is going to reject you. If you sin, the land will reject you. Let's take a look at that. And go down over there to uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And obviously we see that the nation of Israel was scattered. They have been scattered. They are still scattered. Yes, they've, they've come. But I'll tell you this. Uh, I used to live over in the Portland area, in the Raleigh Hills area. And if you know anything about the Raleigh Hills area, it is a very, very dense population of Jewish people. Pharmacy that I worked at, um, that's who came in. There was, you know, Middleman Jewish Center. There was a synagogue up the road. Uh, there was uh, Rose Schnitzer Assisted Living and Robeson Jewish Home. Uh, there was all these things that were there, and they congregated there, and it, it's a Jewish community. I remember going to school and driving uh, uh, to, to um, school when I was in college, and I remember, you know, stopping and having to wait for, um, you know, a bunch of people, ascetics, going to the synagogue to pray. And there they are, and they've got all their black, you know, uh, attire on and their little ascetic curls, and the little boys with their little hats on and their little ascetic curls, and 
they're just all happy and just, you know, going to go pray. And it, it breaks your heart because you know that they're not praying to God who's going to hear them. And it's sad because they've rejected who God is. But if you take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 and you go to verse uh, 64, <clears throat> it says that the Lord shall scatter thee among all the people from one end of the earth even to the other, and there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Among these nations uh, shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the soul of the foot have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and failing eyes and sorrow of mind, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and thou shalt have none assurance of thy life. You realize right now in, in, in the country of France that anti-Semitism is so bad that they fear for their life? If you flipped on the news and you've seen some of the pro-Palestinian parades and marches and assemblies, what are the Jews doing? They're not comfortable here in the United States. They're not comfortable in Europe. They're there, and they are serving other gods, primarily money. But the end result is they're not happy. They're not comfortable. And I'll tell you this. When, when a person or a nation desecrates the name of the Lord despises his word and doubts his power, they will live in fear every day of their life. They will live in fear every day of their life. And that's exactly what's going on here. Thou shalt fear day and night. And they do. Here in the United States of America, the number one uh, number one violence towards religious groups is is anti-Semitism. Number one is anti-Semitism. Number two is uh, Islam, Muslims, and number three are Christians. But let's be fair, what's going on with Christians is starting to escalate. Why is that? Because they hate God. The world hates God. And the end result is, is that they are going to hate you because they hate Christ. By the way, the ascetic Jews, they're not fond of Christians either. They'll spit at you. If you go over and take a tour over there and you run into a group of them, they will spit at you because they despise you. Why? Because you represent Christ. They haven't received Christ. You start talking to a Jew about Christ, they get angry. Really angry. Talk to them about Paul, they get, they get angry too. They're like, Paul wasn't a Jew. Come up with all sorts of other things. Just like they did with Jesus Christ. They make up all sorts of lies. But God said, I'm going to scatter you. And that's what you have in 1917 and in 1948. You had them all scattered all over the place. But they're still scattered today. 
They're still scattered today. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and in verse 3, it says, um, well, let's back up here. In verse 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass when these things are come upon thee, uh, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord God hath driven thee. And thou shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all I command thee this day, thou and thy children, and all thine heart, with all thy soul. He's giving a prophetic, if you will, uh, um, uh, 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 he's giving them a prophecy of what's going to happen in the future. And there will be a group of people, the remnant, that we find being mentioned throughout Scripture, that small group that will do exactly this. And they will follow after the Lord, and they will follow after Him with all their soul. Right now, the only thing that Israel's following is their own pride. Their own pride. In verse 3, it says that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion on thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord God hath scattered thee. Now, now here, here's, here's the important part. Now, God says he's going to give them their land back. He's going to bring them back. He's going to return them to where they belong. And the nations that surround and the nations of the world don't recognize this as, as legitimate. They reject it. And they hate it. They don't think it's right. Because it's again, we're talking about the word of God here. But God's going to do this. God's going to bring them all back. This has not happened yet. Because again, as I said, you've got pockets in Portland, you've got pockets in New York, you've got pockets in LA, you've got pockets in Florida. Four corners of the United States of America, you have, if you will, large, substantially large Jewish communities. And you know what a lot of those Jewish communities are doing right now? And a lot of those young men, a lot of those young men are saying, we're going to take, you know, what we know, and we're going to go over and we're going to go fight with Israel. They're starting to have an influx of people coming in that are going to help fight what's going on to protect that nation. United States citizens. Now, that's an interesting thing to think about. But what we think, or what we see here, is he says he's going to return them, he's going to gather them back. And we start seeing that happen. And in what we find is in World War I, God was preparing the land for the people. And in World War II, he was preparing the people for the land to come back to it. Because they endured some severe persecution. Severe persecution. They're going to come back to that land, and God's going to call them back. Things are going to start changing. But again, the Arab nations and the other nations of the world don't want that to happen. Because again, the devil hates the Jew as much as the world hates it. Because why? It represents Christ. Now right now they're not representing that, but Jesus Christ was Jewish. And if you can wipe out an entire uh, you know group of people, genocide, 
which has happened multiple times in Scripture, where they were trying that, then you can say, well, those people don't exist. Get rid of them. And then we don't have to worry and think about God anymore. They only want to think about themselves, their own pride. Let's go back over there to the book of Leviticus and Leviticus chapter 18. And I want to show you this. And this is, if you will, the source of the conflict of what's going on right now. Why, why, why are they fighting? Why are they, I mean, really honestly, that little strip of land in Gaza is insignificant. I mean, the state of Israel is what now bigger than the state of Rhode Island. I mean, it's, it's, it's minuscule. It's, it's a, it's a speck on the map of the world. I mean, really. And the, the interesting thing is, is any one of those Arab countries could easily say, Oh, Palestinians, we'll accept you. Come on over. We'll give you tons of land because we got tons of land. Why is that? Because they don't want them. Why? Because the Philistine has always been a problem. It was a problem with the Egyptians when they were conquered, when they were seafaring people, and they relegated them to that area over in the Gaza Strip. And the Romans did the same thing, and they were like, these are troublesome people. All of these things, yep, every last one of them said, nope, we don't want them. The Greeks didn't want them when the Greeks were ruling. There were problems with the Medes and Persians. There were problems with the British. There were problems with the Ottoman Empire. I mean, they just create problems for people because they have continually ignored God's word. But the nation of Israel has done the same. But in verse uh, uh, verse 25, let's start in verse 25 of Leviticus chapter 18. It says, and he's talking about what's going to happen. And in verse 24, just to back up here, he says, Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all the, these the nations are defiled, which I cast up before you. And the land is defiled, therefore do I visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomited out her inhabitants. So let's be real clear with this. God said the land didn't even want them there. The land didn't want the Canaanites and the Kenites and the Pezzarites and every one of those ites that was out there. The land didn't want them. Now, we, 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 we take a look at it and say, well, that's an inanimate object. How can the land not want them? I don't know. How can a rock speak out, which Jesus Christ talked about? How can, you know, Balin's beast of burden turn around and start speaking to him? All I know is it says the land's going to vomit her out, vomit them out. That's not a nice thing. It doesn't want them there. And God's saying they've defiled themselves. They've defiled the land. The land says no. They're getting out. They're getting pushed out. And that's why the nation of Israel is coming in there. And he says in verse 26, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither of any uh, of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. Now, again, people jump all over these verses in Leviticus where we're supposed to treat, you know, the immigrant really nice and stuff like that. Yes, we are. But if you immigrated to the nation of Israel, and if you're going to quote these Levitical laws about how we treat those, 
You know what that means? It means you change your religion when you step through the front door. Oh, that's going to go over really well, isn't it? Considering we've built one of the, the biggest Buddhist temples in the world here in the United States. That's going to go over really well when somebody comes in and they're like, oh, you're here for immigration? Yeah, oh, yeah, I got my visas along the line and got all my application and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I see on here that you're, you're, you're registered as a, um, a, t- a Taoist or a Confucianist. Yes, 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 that's, that's what I believe. Okay, you do realize that you're going to have to change it to Christianity. Yeah, that's not going to fly. The next time somebody brings that up and say, are you going to make them change their religion too? Because if you're going to take one verse out of context, let's take it all out of context. Yeah. I can make the Bible say anything I want it to say if it fits my agenda. But if I want it to say what Jesus Christ meant it to say, what God meant it to say, then I'm going to take the whole thing into context. Not just one single verse or phrase. And verse 27 says, For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were uh, before you, and the land is defiled, that the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Well, that kind of happened. The nation of Israel violated God's statutes and judgments, and they got kicked out. They were in a captivity. The land vomited and spewed them out. That you, you go to that word spew, and it's it, it's kind of like that's interesting. It reminds me of what God thinks of uh, the Laodicean church when you're neither hot nor cold. Can't sit on the fence. Elijah told the nation of Israel that. Joshua told them that. Prophets and have told them that you got to make a choice. It's going to be God or it's going to be something else. But you cannot serve, as Jesus Christ said, God and mammon. You can't do them both. Can't do them both. So here we see uh, in, in that passage that God said it's going to spew them out, and it had. But here they are. They're coming back, and, and we see this as. Uh, some beginning of prophecy as they're coming back. And, and, and let's just be clear, as far as the political aspect goes, there are um, there are groups, and, and right now you've got a lar- very large progressive left-leaning government for the nation of Israel. They call themselves Jews. They're Jewish in their form. They'll put on, you know, the yarmulke and the prayer shawls, and they'll do some of the things. But again, let's just... Let's not fool ourselves. They're not really following anything of God. And then you've got, you know, all these other different groups, but they're all in this parliament. And in part of the parliament, you've also got some of the Orthodox Jews that are like, no, we really need to follow what the Word of God says for the most part. And then you have the ultra-Orthodox Jews. They say, oh, no, 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 no. We need to follow the Word of God for just about everything. And then you've got the ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jew that is fanatical. This says, no, we must follow everything. 
So much so that some of them have even begun to suggest that they need to surrender the land back to the Arabs because God didn't give it to them. They took it. Think about that for a moment. They're saying, yeah, we created it in 1948, but we didn't ask God about it. We didn't ask if it was His will. I don't see God giving us any deliverance for this. Those guys are out there right now. And you even see some of them in the pro-Palestinian protests. So, it's, it's a powder keg. It's a big one. Why? Because when you go through Scripture, you find that there's a lot of stuff that surrounds Jerusalem. Why does everybody want that city? Why does everybody want that city? Look, I love the city of Ridgefield. I just love its quaintness. I love its character. I love the community it's here. It's just, you know, it's nice. There's still greenery and lush. you got to remember, I grew up in Boise. You know, the most greenery we had was a sagebrush rolling down the road. Every tree that is in there has been brought in from somewhere else. Why? Because they don't grow there natively. And they require an intense amount of watering that's there. It's a desert. We lived on Desert Avenue at one point in time. I could see the M60 battle tanks from the National Guard up on the hills over in, you know, in the further parts of the desert driving up and then you'd see them shoot off their little, you know, fake rounds and then drive down the hills. I mean, we lived in a desert. So I, I love it here. It's green. It's nice. It's wet. I don't mind the rain. I like it. As I've preached before, I like clouds because Jesus Christ is coming back in them. So if it's a, if it's a bright sunny day, I'm like, well, I guess Jesus isn't coming. <laughs> you know, if there's, if, if there's rain and clouds in the forecast, I'm like, praise the Lord, there's a possibility. Let's pray for that, you know? But, uh, but, but what we find here is that God says these things are going to get, they're going to occur if they continue to ignore who God is and ignore His Word. There's going to be consequences to that. And we see some of that today, though it's going on. Let's go over to the book of Numbers here real quick. Numbers chapter 33. Again, get a little bit more of a background here. And again, this is just a summary of some of the things. Uh, you know, I'd like to discuss in detail all the wars that have gone on. But I'll tell you this, God has protected the nation of Israel throughout their wars. He protected them in the Six-Day War when they found out that they were going to get invaded and they decided to strike first. In six days, they beat armies that were so far technologically advanced and greater in numbers that at some point in time, they, they realized they had to stop. When, when, when Israeli fighter pilots and Israeli tank commanders could see the pyramids in Egypt, that's how much land they took. When they were almost to Damascus in, in Syria, that's how much land they took. When they were almost ready to go in and completely wipe out the entire country of Jordan, that's, I mean, that's how bad these, these countries got beat. They didn't stand a chance. And even when they did the surprise attack on Yom Kippur in 1970s, 
1973, they came in and they, the Arabs tried to attack again to get some of that land back and things going on. Oh, good grief. Yeah. They got, they got surprised. Israel got surprised. They got beat really bad at first and then they turned around and they beat the snot out of the Arab countries again. Again, more technologically advanced, better equipment. I mean, Israel was still using World War II battle tanks in 1973. Granted, they had a few upgrades, but still, it's a World War II battle tank. That's, you know, some some 30-plus years old. They're still using antiquated uh, aircraft. But God gave him victory. God has always protected him. God has taken care of his people as he said he would. But he also promised there's going to be repercussions for continuing to ignore. And there's some really big repercussions coming in the tribulation period that are right around the corner. Numbers chapter 33, jump down to uh, verse... Um, well, let's take a look at verse 52. <clears throat> It says, then, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and uh, dwell therein, for I have given it you the land to possess it. It's theirs. It's theirs. And he tells them they're going to divide it for, he says, and she'll divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more you shall give, uh, uh, excuse me, and to the more you shall give the more inheritance. And to the fewer you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth according to the tribes of your fathers. You shall inherit. He says you're going to divide up the land between the 12 tribes. Actually, the 11 tribes because the Levite didn't get anything. Why? Because they had a greater responsibility. It wasn't land management. It was taking care of the things of God. A Levite showed up in town. You made him feel welcome. You built him a house. So there you go. Stay here. Some some took it way too far and started calling him father and all sorts of crazy stuff you see in the book of Judges. Things got out of hand. But uh, they were supposed to be representing the things of God. Now, not all Levites were priests. But all priests had to be from the tribe of Levi. But we find they had a special thing. So all the 11 tribes, they got divided up all, all the other parts of that land. All the other parts of the land. But take a look at verse 55. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. I could not find a better verse that fits the situation right now than that. Did they drive them out? Nope, they welcomed them in with open arms and welcomed to their sin, didn't they? And they became, if you will, a pain. You ever say that to somebody? Oh man, you're a pain in my side. You're a pain in the neck. Hopefully you haven't. Because you don't want to say that to anybody. You might mutter it under your breath or think it or say it to somebody else, which you really shouldn't. But God said, these people, 
they're going to be a pain to you. They're going to be a pain to you. You're going to have problems with them because they're going to be continually, as he's talked about, terrorizing you. And this is what we see happening. In verse 56, it says, Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you, to you as I thought to do unto them. God warned them. God warned them. And this is what we see right now in this, this situation that's going on. I want us to turn to another passage over in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. <clears throat> and I, I want to say this because here, here, here is another portion where he starts talking about the land grant that he's given to him. And right now you have this issue and people are trying to make it a religious issue. Uh, meaning that they're trying to say, they're trying to pit, if you will, Judaism and Islam against each other. Well, let's just be honest. Judaism and Islam share the same common denominator. Humanism. And I dare say, modern Christianity, and I say that in quotes because it's not really following Christ, is based in humanism. All false religions based in humanism. Why? Because it's all about you. It's all about how you're going to be the best, and you're going to get yourself to heaven, and you're going to make a name for yourself. All that stuff over in the Tower of Babel and the Babylonian-ish uh, mentality and all of those things that we see in the Old Testament goes right back to the garden. You shall be gods. God doesn't want you to know that. He's hiding stuff from you. What are you talking about? You'll be just like him. You'll be a god which is exactly what Lucifer thinks. Which is why he made his five I wills. And we find that this is the mentality, but it's not a religious issue. It's not pitting even Christianity and Islam and Judaism. If you will, there's a little bit of an unholy trinity there. Those three getting together and people are saying, well, they're all going to come together and that's how the Antichrist... No, the Antichrist is going to appeal to the humanists. Why? Because people are in love with themselves. They do that which is right in their own eyes. And if I could find a better way to describe the United States of America right now, I would say it is that. It is that. And that's what we're moving towards. Just get rid of the laws. We don't need it. Everybody's just, you know, everybody's going to love everybody. And we're all going to come around, you know, the riot fires and, and sing Kumbaya and and, you know, as we watch the police station burn and so on and so forth. And we're going to, we're, you know, everybody's going to be happy and everybody's going to be, you know, joyful. And it's going to be peaceful for the most part. You know, stuff like that. It's all humanism. It's all it's ever been. But here we find in this, in this passage in um, uh, Exodus chapter 23, Verse 31, um, he says, uh, um, let's back up here uh, in verse 29. He says, I will not drive them out before thee in one year. Lest the lamb become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. So God's got a plan. Incremental. Because look, in verse 30, by little and little. I don't know about you, but I got that underlined in my Bible. 
little by little. When you got saved, did you instantly know everything? Do you understand the doctrine of sanctification? You don't understand it now. <laughs> Justification, redemption. Did you understand everything about Scripture? Did you all of a sudden get a you know the the, the new update and download from the Lord? Oh, and you know. All of a sudden, you, you, you've got everything, you got all knowledge, and you're like, no? What, is it, what, what has it been? Little by little, hasn't it? Little by little. Get a little knowledge. Get a little bit of something. You meditate. You chew on that. You think about it. God uses it in your life, and you're like, wow, wow, that's amazing. And then he says, oh, yeah? Wait, watch this one. Little by little, it says... By little and little, I will dry them out before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. What is that? Little by little, he wants them to grow. He wants them to increase so that they're ready to get that blessing that God has for them. I don't know about you, that's kind of a side note, and I could preach on that all day on verse 30 about growth. But what we see here in verse 31, and he said, I will set the bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and not shall drive them out before thee. Now, I want to make it very clear what he just said there. That land that belonged to the Philistines was taken away from the Philistines because of their sin. Let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes God takes things away because of our sin. Things that might be valuable to us. And we can lament them and we can can wish for them back. But the Philistine isn't getting it back. God said that belongs to somebody else now. That belongs to somebody else. I dare say sometimes when we don't understand what God's doing in our lives and we try to do our own things and we go against the Word of God, kind of like Israel does, sometimes somebody else gets that blessing. And we miss out. And it's sad to think that that's happened to Israel. But if you will, from the, from the, the standpoint of where, where it is today, that's where Israel stands. They don't have God. Yeah, God's still watching them over them. Because He made a promise. He made a promise. But I'll tell you this. They still got a lot of sin that they got to get corrected. And the biggest sin is their pride that has driven them away from God. That they would reject Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, God Himself. That's what sin does. It'll blind you to what you're, what you're missing out on. And right now, the nation of Israel is going through it. And they went through it, and they've gone through it. 
You go in and you take a look at how many times they've been at war and how many times they've had conflicts and the intifadas and all those things that were going on. Oh, my word. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. Because not only after 1973, there was incursions into Lebanon in the 1980s. There was, you know, the uprisings that went on, all of these things that have happened. And now we've got this war. And look, I'm not saying I want to see anybody dead. I don't want to see uh, any Israeli person die, and I don't want to see any Palestinian person die either. Why? Because if they die without Jesus Christ, they're going to go to a devil's hell. I don't want to see that happen. But God's going to do what God's going to do in His time. And there's going to be repercussions. But I'll tell you this. Today, one great thing did happen. We're one day closer to the Lord coming back. We're one day closer to the Lord coming back. Keep that in mind every single day. I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer to my Savior. I'm one day closer. Just kind of keep that in mind as we see the things going on. Like I said, I wasn't going to try to get into a lot of detail, but I wanted to show you some stuff from Scripture, what we see what's going on with Israel and why there's a conflict that is there. Look, it's not about the land. It's about what God said. Think about it. It's not about the land. It's about what God said and God's promise. And somebody is trying to steal away God's promise and blessings happened in the garden and it happens today. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to get into your word and discuss a little bit more about your people. Lord, I just pray uh, as the scripture instructs us, peace from Jerusalem. But Lord, we all know that peace isn't going to come without the Prince of Peace, and that's you. And Lord, we just pray that you come quickly, and we pray, Lord, that uh, um, we just be diligent and faithful till you do come, serving you, living for you, loving you each day. And these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.